the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. But life is not about money, right? It's about how you write your book of life. You know, we all have a book. We got to write it right. I wish I could finish it. Well, you know what? Finish it the right way. The book that matters is the one that is a record of how we interact with each other. We all have good pages and bad pages in our book. More profoundly, we need Jesus to have his blood over our life. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Today's message with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled, Behold the Lamb. That's Behold the Lamb, and we will bring you the first portion of this broadcast today. Don't forget, you can always find these messages and many more online at reachingyourheart.com. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko, with today's Reaching Your Heart. Like me... The assistant mechanic from Haiti is a family, and like me, he has hopes and dreams for his children. And like me, it was Christmas time. It was New Year's for him. He too was struggling. That mechanic from Haiti is not a rich man. And me, that is I, recovering from his mistake at his expense, means his harm and his hurt and maybe his harm to me in a more profound kind of way because our lives are intertwined. So I had to start thinking about what it means to interact with others who that God loves as much as he loves me. Because someone has to eat the mistake to fix the car that is really a test of what kind of me I choose to be in this situation. As the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, I decided to focus on him instead of me that day. So I invited him out to eat to get to know him. That cost money. And as a person in my life, rather than just a technician who works on my car, I began to view him that way. And as I went out to eat with him after work, I learned that he is a caring father. And his name is Mario. Very caring father. And he worries about his son, just like I care about my two sons. We suddenly had commonality at the table. It felt like Holy Communion, actually. It was. And I could tell he was thinking about his family as I was thinking about mine at the end of the day. How would he manage this crisis? How would it affect his family at this time of his life? Suddenly it hit me. Why not order pizza for his whole family and make their day and pay for his meal too? That's exactly what I did as I gained a friend that day. It wasn't easy in light of the accumulating cost. It cost a little more to do that. But as we ate together, you know, the bitterness of it and the frustration began to slip away into the fellowship of communion that was happening. I no longer saw him as the assistant mechanic who made a mistake on my car. He had been transformed in my mind by communion. I saw him as a friend who was working on my car to help me as someone like me who needed God's grace. Like me and his worries, he had them too. And he shared with me that it really doesn't matter. He said, Pastor Mike, he began to call me Pastor Mike. It really doesn't matter. If I make any money in life, he says, what matters is I want my children to have an education and make it in life. 
I said, man, that resonates with me as well. He said, I came from poverty in Haiti, and my daughter is a diplomat for my country. He was proud of his daughter. He said, I put her through college. I did it. I'll never go to college like that, but I put her through college so she could have a life better than the one I grew up with. It's noble. I confided in him that I grew up in poverty in this country in a similar kind of way like he did. He began to smile. He couldn't believe it. In this country, he grew up in poverty. I said, Appalachia. And so we began to compare our life stories. We both knew what it was like to be hungry. We both knew it was like to go fishing to fix the problem. We both left our home to get an education, and we both sacrificed to surmount the challenges and get ahead. He became a mechanic. I became a pastor. But the journey was so similar. And like me, he put his children before his future in education. He made career choices that made sure he could love his kids more than get ahead. And like me, he realized he could have gone further if his family was not the most important thing in life next to God. I mean, I felt a friend here suddenly. That week, a day later, I turned 55. It was, in fact, it was the day before my birthday, January 9, reading. My birthday was January 10. Now, 55 is a major milestone for me in my life. I'm now 55. When I go to the thrift store now, I will have a senior citizen discount on the right days, okay? AARP will sign me up this year for senior citizen discounts everywhere. I'm not going to sign up. Well, that sounds good to them. It doesn't sound good to me, and I'll tell you why. You see, I have a life dream, and the word senior citizen does not fit into my life goals. It doesn't. I dreamed all my life to get a Ph.D. in New Testament studies. It didn't happen. And my Greek is good, my Hebrew is good, my Aramaic is sound. I'm still a student. I'm 55 years of age now. You know, I spent the last 17 years fighting with lawyers to get this church up. And our senior attorney said, you ought to just take the bar exam. I said, no, I don't want to do that. You know, the needs of others can take the place of a dream at times. Can it not? And midlife is when you begin to rifle through it in your head. And every year I squeezed in a little time here and there to research for a book that might have got me that degree. I've been working on a book for 10 years. In time I wrote the book, it's 1,500 pages long. It's not quite finished yet. Those are single space pages. No double space pages. It's a scholarly work. Because the journey has been long until now. You know, I've been working on it in a hospital room, in between court fights here and there. I set the project aside for a year because my brother, who was struggling with addiction, needed my prayers. You know, he went into surgery. He got these meds, and he got hooked on those meds. I know what that feels like because I almost got hooked on meds over 10 years ago when I had back surgery. By God's grace, I'm not. By different circumstances, he was. And so I had a choice to make. My brother was more important to me than finishing a book. He died shortly after my birthday this year, as many of you know. And it's not Tim, it's my brother Jonathan. And I don't regret that year of loving him and trying to save his life. Three rehabs, struggling to help him get through this. You know, single-space pages of biblical analysis and research in a 1,500-page manuscript is an unfinished book for me today. You know, we write another book in life. It's the one that really matters. I did not write my book on the New Testament where I wanted to get a Ph.D., but in the Old Testament where I had to grow to know what was going on in Bible prophecy. The book of Daniel, the Mare Chazon vision that points to Jesus in the New Testament is the subject of this book. People with PhDs have used my book 
and it's been used as textbook material at the seminary, I have not fully written my own book. Isn't that funny? You have a manuscript, and they cite your unfinished manuscript, but you just can't quite finish your own book. This year it hit me. I'm talking to you. You mind if I talk to you here? I will never get that PhD. I'm quite sure of that. Life is not scripted that the way I wanted it to go down. Friend, life is in the Son of God. And God is wholly committed to a journey where I can behold the Lamb of God. That's the thing that matters most. And so there are changes in life. There are interruptions in life. There are circumstances that redirect us. And somehow God is in the journey if we're patient enough because God wants us at the end of that journey to see the eyes of His mercy. When I was a young man, I wrote a poem about an unfinished book. It's more about life than a book. I wrote a lot of poetry. Most of my poetry was destroyed in an arson right where this platform is at. Do you realize that? The old arson that hit that house was right here. And I lost most of my poetry at that time in my library. I found this poem in an old sermon where it survived. This one survived. The title of the poem is The Stairway. And the subject of the poem is the book we all write in life that needs to be written. The poem itself appears as an unfinished poem. It's called The Stairway, as I said. The church bell tolled eleven strong. And to my desk the call came home. I closed my book of right and wrong. And to the stairway all alone I walked the solitary hall. My legs before with ease had borne me firmly down the flight. Refreshed, I crossed the hall intent no more, those steps to make my plight. Refreshed no more, I once again had come. Set there before me spiraled high the course that I alone must plod. Before the sleep I'd long deny that stairway I must now defy. Fatigued, I paused beneath the steps. Now chambers high above await, and drowsy forms anticipate my silence laggardly to take. But still, although the hour is late, and lethargy my certain fate, I wish I could finish my book. Isn't that something? You know, we all want to get something done, am I right? And we all have a life dream to get it done. Now here, when I was sitting with that mechanic at that table, I was thinking about those things, midlife thoughts. How can I get certain things done? Suddenly it hit me. You know what matters most at this moment in time? Is that man. God has placed you in the center of a universe that's not about you. He's placed you in the center of a universe that's about him. And so I sat there at the table talking to a man from Haiti who had dreams and concerns a whole lot like mine, just as important to the God of heaven. And how would I view him? As primary or secondary to my own thoughts, this kind and noble man came from that place that was condemned a couple of weeks ago in a slip of the mouth that revealed the heart of a politician who needs Christ. There's utterly no excuse for what we heard that made national news not long ago about Haiti. The dear people of Haiti are dear people to Jesus Christ, are they not? And God loves them, and we ought to love them. And I have no patience when I hear any person denigrate a people because of their poverty. It is not the kind of place that makes the news unless someone defames it, as we heard, or an earthquake takes thousands of lives. As I learned to get to know my mechanic friend from Haiti, I discovered that he is really a good mechanic and an honest man. The mistake wasn't a mistake at all, because as I began to see it with better eyes, it was providence that led me to know him in this way. 
You are listening to Reaching Your Heart. More with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. A reminder, we are a listener-funded ministry. We do appreciate your support. If you can help us out with a financial contribution, here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can also find us on the web at reachingyourheart.com. Here he is, Pastor Mike, once again. And so I learned that his son is struggling with a serious health problem. And he learned that he could trust me to pray for his son, Dimitri. And so I added him to my prayer list. I mean, it's something. And that happened at a table, a table which was for us a communion table. I prayed for his son and my sons and his wife and my wife and our families. And somehow my friend, Mario... My mechanics assistant, I prayed for his life, and he prayed for my life, and there was warmth there. And I prayed for Jesus to guide his family as I seek God to guide me and my family. And when the prayer was over, I told him not to worry about the car, but to take the pizza home to his family. I said, God will take care of my car. I need the mind of Christ today. And God will help you and me as we work together to fix it. So we left. That's what I told him. Actually, he drove me home because I didn't have a car. (laughs) But it was nice having his company all the way home. That's what I told him. Now, that was easier said than done. Why? Because I am a human being, too, and money matters to me like it does to you and everyone else. Right? Right? Yeah. Come on, be real with me. But life is not about money. Right? It's about how you write your book of life. You know, we all have a book. we got to write it right. I wish I could finish it. Well, you know what? Finish it the right way. The book that matters is the one that is a record of how we interact with each other. And we all have good pages and bad pages in our book. More profoundly, we need Jesus to have his blood over our life in our book. My friend's boss loaned me his truck so I could get around as a pastor that week. Not this week. I couldn't get it. So that week I learned that there was a major mechanical problem with my car. You know how easy it is to refresh what someone else did to you accidentally? I got the call that Friday that the engine was severely damaged and needed a valve replacement. Turns out a whole head assembly. On the way to the mechanic shop that Friday morning, I began to think in the flesh. Come on. You ever do that? I've done it before and so have you. And I was struggling. Not long ago, I read a chapter in The Desire of Ages on the childhood of Jesus. A profound statement was made in that chapter that came to my mind. That Jesus did not contend for his own rights. Why do you have to read stuff like that when you've got to get your car fixed, you know? Devotions aren't supposed to meddle with your head at this level. Now, I've definitely contended for the rights of others, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. To be the advocate of the weak, the advocate of others, when God calls you to be, is fine. But when it's your own rights, it's different. But God would not have me contend for my rights all the time and be at war with his mercy and love in someone else's life when I can turn the other cheek and I can do what Jesus said to do when called to do it. And so I had a choice to make that Friday. Would I press my rights or seek God's way through the problem to find the right path that is the mind of Christ? I called my son Donald on the phone and told him what happened. Now Donald, not a real fan of my mechanic, I said, son, I'm on the way to see my mechanic. He said, oh, no. I said, son, I want you to pray for me because I want the mind of Christ more than I want to fix this car on my own terms. I heard him gulp on the other side. 
And yet I need to fix this car, son. Now, my son Donald's a fighter, but this time I heard him say something different, and it helped me to hear it. He said, Dad, this is not what I would normally do. You know this. But this is the right thing to do. And then he prayed for me in Jesus' name. Oh, that was huge. See, I was getting dividends back, which I didn't even realize. My son was beginning to realize what mercy means. How can I teach mercy to my son if I cannot be merciful to someone who has got it wrong for me? And as I drove into the mechanic shop, I noticed that the assistant mechanic's boss was subdued. I had prayed for him many a time, and now my prayers were being tested at that time, right there in real time. My mechanic friend from Haiti was there looking at me. Would it match what he heard on the radio? What kind of pastor is this guy for real? I mean, this is a test. We all have them in life. I went up and asked to speak with his boss, who owns the shop as the chief mechanic, who'd been my mechanic for years. We walked a little bit, and I began to rehearse a little bit of the history of the problem. Of course, it fell on him. Of course, mistakes were made that were costly to both of us, and at first it got a little tense. But I'd make those mistakes and repair them in the way that would fully heal me would fully wound him. That was clear, and so we talked. So I told him that I'm not upset at you, sir, and he said, I don't want to be angry at you either. And so I shifted from who was at fault to what we could do together to remain friends and get it fixed I said, what do you think I should do? Not you. What do you think I should do? He paused. He said, it's a big fix. It's an expensive one. The labor is expensive. I've spent half the week with this car in my shop. I've lost that money. The parts are not that expensive. I can get them. Would you cover the parts and I will give you the labor to fix this car for free? I said, that's good enough for me. We walked back together to the shop and we bowed our heads together. And I asked Jesus to bless both our families with the mind of Christ. Friend, it's a fact of life that we are born selfish. Have you done a check of yourself lately? Your spiritual thermometer? We're innately selfish. And I am no different than you in this matter. This is what we're made of. It is also a fact of eternal life that Jesus came into this world to end the power of selfishness so we can live for God and others. That grace can win in the end because grace mends broken lives. Friend, Jesus didn't break this planet. We did. And Jesus could have spoken up for his rights as he took it back from us when Adam failed, but he didn't do it. John says Jesus was in the world, the world was made through it, and yet the world did not know Jesus. He came to his own people, and his own people received him not. It's an easy and ordinary thing to live a life and never know Jesus. You know, to know Jesus means we've got to know him, not as we expect him to be because of our flesh, but to know him as he is. He is altogether different than us. John says in John 1.10 that Jesus came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. And finally, John says that Jesus died for all the me's in this world because we all broke the world and we finally broke him. Friend, Jesus took our stripes that belong to us all so that we can be healed by him and belong to him forever. And when Jesus was done taking our beating, and that he did, don't you let anyone tell you he did not. He took our beating, according to Isaiah. There was nothing left to condemn because God in Christ looked beyond the fault to save the sinner. Why? 
Because all the me's in this world mattered more to him than the I that was himself. And so he died for every one of them. That week was a painful week for me. I learned more profoundly that I am a sinner. And I learned even more profoundly than that, that Jesus is a Savior. Now, I wrote this sermon just before I received a call from another brother. You see, I came home from the mechanic shop. I just delivered a present to a precious young boy here in our church. And I didn't know what had happened that day. I wrote this sermon just before, and I went out to do an errand. And I got home. I received a call from another brother in Tennessee who lived next to my brother that was struggling with addiction that he had taken his life. That was the end of the journey. His mix of meds had misfired. and He sank into a depression only God understands. I struggled a year and a half to help save his life. And I can't explain to you the sense of failure I experienced at that moment in time when I realized it didn't work. And so I set this sermon aside as an unfinished book, as a manuscript that would never be preached until today. I picked it up last night. The last few weeks, we have experienced the love of this church, as I've said, and others that have helped to heal the wounds of our loss there. It hit like a storm that day. There have been good pages added to our lives because of love and grace and faith. I have seen myself in ways I don't like recently, and yet I've seen God with a fresh and new vision of mercy. Mercy. Friend, grace is the glue of God. That men's families and people and our lives need mending. Sometimes it takes a painful journey to come to the cross with fresh eyes. And sometimes that pain is God's way of helping you see yourself with honest eyes so you can see God's eyes of mercy for you. You know, to come to church, to do the things we do, to invest the energy we do, and to not be a place where mercy and grace are supreme is to miss the story. We're all broken. We're all fractured. We all need the love of God in the journey. And thus the church becomes the avenue, the extension of God's love. I saw it there in my brother's church. I didn't hear one condemnatory voice. His pastor preached the finest funeral anyone could. You know, they asked me to preach my brother's funeral. Can you believe it? I said yes. And then a day later I said no. And God had arranged for the young man I had interned with to be there as the new pastor. I knew Mark. And he did the finest funeral message possible. And his church became a conduit of grace for my family. Not one scowl of condemnation. Love in God's family. As I stood by my brother's casket last week, I stood next to his little boy who was nine years old. Whatever problem I had with my mechanical issues, who cares? That boy's problems are huge. And as he stood there, just looking, Sammy was looking at it. I could see that Sammy wanted to touch his daddy, but he was afraid to. You know, death is a fearful thing, especially for a little boy who has lost his daddy. I took my hand and I put it on my brother's hand. His cold hand right there in front of him, standing next to him. Then I waited a second. I said, it's okay, Sammy, to touch your daddy. But he was afraid to do it. Then I took his hand and just held it for a little bit. 
when he got used to the warmth of my hand, I picked it up and I placed it on his daddy's hand. In the mix of a cold, dead hand, his hand and my hand were still warm. And I think we felt the hand of God that is warmer still that touched ours in the mix. You see, the touch of God's love is much more profound than a sermon about it. To feel and know God in holy communion is more profound than all the dissertations on what it is or is not. In the mix of that cold hand, he was there. I leave you with the Bible verse. I did not have time to develop it as a sermon because of the painful losses that have dominated my family's life as of late. But somehow that verse speaks for itself to me. And maybe it will speak to you this morning. Because it's glorious. Cars will get fixed. But the real work of God is the life that needs mending with God's grace. Friend, only God can fix the broken life. And maybe you came to communion broken. You know, the grace of God is for mending. The grace of God is for mending. And only the Lamb of God who died for us all can get it right today and in the end. John 1.29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. And that's exactly what he is doing today toward you. And he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. We are a listener-supported ministry and would love for you to partner with us as we continue to present Christ-centered biblical truths of Scripture in practical and relevant ways. Call us right now at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Visit the website reachingyourheart.com to find out more about this ministry, Reaching Your Heart, and Pastor Michael Oxentenko. That's Reaching Your yourheart.com. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can donate right there on the website, reachingyourheart.com. 888-244-HOPE. Thanks for listening. And as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.